morning. The scripture reading for this morning comes from the book of Lamentations. Lamentations, chapter 3, verses 21 through 24. Uh, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassion never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. Good morning. We ask God to bless the reading and the preaching of his word this morning. Someone said long ago that there is no Christian life without its Gethsemane. Every Christian faces trials and hardships and sorrows that bring us to our knees, that move us to cry out for God's mercy, that move us with tear-filled eyes and broken hearts to ask God to take this cup from us. Each of us, I'm sure, could provide personal illustrations of that. No one, no Christian is exempt from the pain that can come to us in life. But while that's true, what I especially love about that statement about Gethsemane is the second half of the statement. That while there are no Christian lives without their Gethsemanes, There are no Gethsemanes without their comforting angels. God didn't force Jesus to endure Gethsemane alone. Luke chapter 22 and verse 43 says that angels attended him. And when we pass through our own garden of Gethsemane, when we're faced with discouragement and depression and suffering and tears, God does not leave us alone. One source of encouragement and comfort that I have come to appreciate is this short passage in the Old Testament that we heard read. I have found it a great blessing in my own dark moments and in my own struggles. And I hope that its assurance of God's love and faithfulness will encourage you. Let's listen to it again. Lamentations 3, verse 21 to 24. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. There are three things that make these verses so powerful and so uplifting. One is the circumstances in which they were spoken. Those circumstances were the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. The city of David lay in ruins. The stones of Solomon's temple lay in a blackened heap. The once lively, crowded, busy streets and temple courts are empty. The shops and the markets are abandoned. No one comes to sell. No one comes to buy. Destruction is everywhere. Death is everywhere. If you read Lamentations 3, 1 through 20, you will read Jeremiah's personal despair and pain because of what he sees. Not only is Jerusalem and the temple in ruins, but God's people have been taken into exile. 
having been forced to drink deeply from the cup of God's wrath because of their sin. Nevertheless, Jeremiah celebrates God's love and mercy and faithfulness. And his message is that hope is still possible. The second thing that is amazing about this passage is the one to whom it is addressed. Jeremiah is traditionally thought to be the human author of Lamentations. And here the writer, here the prophet declares his unwavering loyalty to God. He praises God. He remembers God's kindness. He remembers God's goodness. And he declares that his lot or his portion is with God. And yet, it is God who brought about this terrible destruction. It is by God's will that Jerusalem is in ruins and the temple is destroyed. God willed that the Babylonians destroy everything. They were the rod in his hands, the instrument of his punishment. Perhaps what I find amazing is that in my humanity and weakness, I wonder if I wouldn't have been tempted to curse God for what happened. It would have been sinful to do so, for sure. And I hope that I wouldn't. But it happened because of God's wrath. His wrath came after years and years and years of trying to get His people to repent. Years and years and years of trying to get them to leave their idolatry and return to Him. And Jeremiah only has praise for God and justification for what God has brought down on his people. The final thing that makes these words amazing, that gives them power, is that they were written and spoken before the cross. Five centuries must pass before God's ultimate expression of mercy. Jesus and the cross are in the in the distant future. Now, Jeremiah knows the promises of blessing that came with the covenant. And he also has the promise of a new covenant that will be given in the future. Jeremiah 31 and verse 31 following. Jeremiah has seen the kindness of God as well as the wrath of God. And out of all of that and out of his walk with the Lord comes this marvelous statement of faith that I would suggest is not surpassed by anything in the New Testament. The New Testament only takes these words and makes them more sure and more true and more full. To begin with, Jeremiah celebrates the constancy of God's love. Look at verse 22. When we talk about love in the New Testament, we're accustomed to speaking about agape love, by which we mean sacrificial love, which we see especially exemplified in Jesus' death on the cross. We heard it in our reading at the table. Agape love such as we are commanded to give each other in John 13, 34, and 35, and 1 Corinthians 13. But the concept here in verse 22 is similar, but with a slightly different shade of meaning. Steadfast love here is love that is loyal. It is love that will not let go. 
The covenant that Moses received from God at Sinai for Israel contained God's promise that Israel would be his special people and he would be their God. God was committed to them. God loved them. His first loyalty, as it were, were to them before any other people. And Jeremiah stands in the midst of Jerusalem's ruined. He stands before the destroyed temple. The lights have gone out and everything is dark. And Jeremiah says to his people, God still loves us. God still loves us. Despite everything that they could see. And not only does he still love us, but his love for us is without end. Israel and Judah had simply run out of time. Look at verse 40 and 40 through 42. Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled, and you have not forgiven. The punishments of destruction and exile were the consequences of their sin. But even so, in spite of all that happened, while they may have run out of time, they had not run out of God's mercy. They had not run out of His love. His pity, His compassion, His kindness toward them has not been exhausted. How marvelous it is for us to say amen to that. We have those times when we stand in the ruins of our own sin. We have those times when we are crushed by our failure to be what God wants us to be, to do what God wants us to do. We come to those places and times when the rug is pulled out from under us by some great tragedy or difficulty. And we still can say, He still loves me. He still loves us. We cannot exhaust God's mercy. We cannot exhaust His favor, His kindness toward us. That was true in Jeremiah's day and the destruction of Jerusalem, but it's far more true this side of the cross. Second, Jeremiah celebrates God's faithfulness. Look at verse 23. The thoughts run together. Here the thought of is still of God's loyal love, of His never-ending mercy. But now Jeremiah declares that God's love and mercy are new every morning. What do we find when we walk through our yard most spring, summer, and fall mornings? What do we find? Well, we find that our feet are wet from the dew that was on the grass. The heat may have been scorching the day before. The wind may have been blowing. But the next morning, God has blessed the earth with moisture once again. And Jeremiah is saying to his people and he is saying to us that God's love and His mercy are the same. They are like that for us. They are new every morning. They are renewed to us every morning. We can lean on God's love and mercy. We can depend on it. That's what Jeremiah is saying. We may think that we have worn it out with prayer and troubles and heartache. We may think that our sin has emptied God's store of grace and mercy. But Jeremiah says, oh no. Every morning, just like the dew, it is new. 
God's promises, God's love, God's compassion are new as if they had never been tapped before. That is the blessing that we have in Christ Jesus. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. It's one time in the whole book of Lamentations that God speaks directly to God. Great is your faithfulness. We know examples of faithfulness, don't we? We know examples of loyal love. Those are not foreign concepts to us. We've heard stories about dogs who refuse to leave their master's side despite the pain and agony that they feel. We know of friendships that last a lifetime. We think of police officers and firefighters and military personnel who will risk their own lives because they will not leave a buddy behind. We think of husbands and wives who are married for 40 and 50 and 60 years. Loyal, faithful love through all the ups and downs, through all the struggles of life, through all its sorrows and joys. And yet, as wonderful as such faithfulness may be, it does not begin to compare to God's faithfulness. When God makes a promise, God keeps His promise. And not only that, but He keeps His promise to millions upon millions of people across the centuries. Today we enjoy promises that God made in the long ago. That He made to Abraham and He made to Adam and Eve. And those promises are still being fulfilled. He is the God who will never leave us. He is the God who will never walk away from us. Who will keep His word and never break a promise. And there is no power in the universe that can take God away from us. And the cross of Jesus says that that is true even more now. Finally, Jeremiah declares that his portion is with the Lord, verse 24. To appreciate what Jeremiah is saying here, we need to think back to the days when Israel first conquered the land of promise under Joshua. When that happened, every Israelite look forward to having a portion of the land. That was their promise. That They had been promised that. That was their inheritance. They were assured that they would have a portion. And from that portion, they would get their living. They Their lives would be sustained and blessed from the portion that they had. But in all of that, the Levites got no property. They got no land when it was distributed because the Scripture says more than once their portion, their inheritance was the Lord Himself. Now in practical terms, that meant that they had a share of the animals and the grain and the wine that were brought for sacrifice to God. But Jeremiah says here, the Lord is my portion What I depend on for food and for home and for security is not a piece of land, but the Lord Himself. God will feed me. God will shelter me. God will watch over me. God will be keep me safe. My life comes from Him and it's sustained by Him. The Lord is my portion. 
And so as Jeremiah looks from this dismal, miserable, terrible, terrible destruction, he promises that his hope for the future will be in the Lord. He didn't need to know about tomorrow. God would love him no matter what. He didn't need to worry about tomorrow because God would be with him to face it. And he didn't need to be anxious about the future because God would uphold him whatever came. As Psalm 73 in verse 26 puts it so well, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. If Jeremiah could have such faith before the cross and before the resurrection, you and I can certainly have that kind of faith afterwards. How much more can we who live after the cross, who have God's Spirit, who are part of His church, who have a home in heaven, also have such faith? How could we not have such faith? I came across a story some time ago that I think illustrates what we're trying to say this morning, and I'd like to share it with you. It was a balmy afternoon in October in 1982. Badger Stadium in Madison, Wisconsin was packed. More than 60,000 diehard University of Wisconsin supporters were there to watch their Badgers play football against the Michigan State Spartans. It soon became obvious that Michigan State had the better team. What seemed odd, however, as the score became more and more lopsided, there were bursts of applause and shouts of joy from the Wisconsin fans. How could they cheer when their team was getting whipped? How could they be joyful when things were going from bad to worse? Well, it turns out that 70 miles away in Milwaukee, the Milwaukee Brewers were playing the St. Louis Cardinals in the third game of the World Series. And the Brewers were winning. Every time a Brewer got a hit, the fans in Wisconsin would cheer, and in, in Madison would cheer. Every time there was a Brewer strikeout, they would cheer. Every great play. All those people in those stands at the football game would yell and scream and be so joyful. And yet down on the field, their football team was getting slaughtered. It was terrible. Why was there joy? They had portable radios and they were listening to the game in Milwaukee. They couldn't see it with their eyes. All they could see what was on was going on on the field there. But what they could hear brought them great joy. The Apostle Paul encourages us to fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 18. When we do, we can rejoice even in hardships because we see Christ's larger victory. And in our passage in Lamentations, Jeremiah is pointing us in the same direction. I hope God will hold the cross before your eyes and before your heart. 
I hope these words from Lamentations 3, 21 to 24 will encourage you and strengthen you and draw you ever closer to God. I pray that your hope will remain firm and steadfast, whatever comes to you. And I pray that your faith in the Lord, whose steadfast love never ceases, will grow and grow. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning. We want to finish now with a song of encouragement. There may be somebody this morning who is in great need, who is living in the ruins and and needs God's help. We love you. We care about you. We want to help. And we'd be delighted to pray with you if you'll simply come and let us know how we can serve. Please come always stand and sing.